Welcome to another episode of the Cut for Time podcast here at the Canton United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Clay, and I'm just so glad you've joined me for today's episode. It's just me today because of my regular partner, Eric Stearns, uh, is celebrating his son Everett's birthday. And so happy birthday to Everett, and just uh, wanted to hop on with a few quick thoughts about Sunday's sermon, uh, the idea of stepping out um, in our faith, stepping out in our generosity, and just want to dig into a couple of ideas that either got shortened during the sermon or got cut entirely. So uh, let's go ahead and dig in um, today. So I started off Sunday's message with a story about marching band. Um, It was a big deal for me when I was in school. I was a band nerd, still am a band nerd, and uh, marched all through high school and then through um, my freshman year of college at Northern State and then a little bit, uh, we did did a little bit of stuff at USF as well, kind of with the very starts of a pep band. But uh, um, talked about the fact that we, during my senior year of high school did something very different um, and we actually stepped out of our normal formation while we were marching and then just when I got to Northern State we were doing entire field shows and so that idea of stepping out really became really real when I got to college but uh, when I think about aligning my steps with anybody as we are during the sermon series looking at how we align our steps with God um, when we talk about aligning our steps with anybody um my mind goes to marching band. Um, and so I told the story about the marching band and just talked about how stepping out of our comfort zone is hard and it never gets easier. Um, there is just something that is hard about doing something for the very first time. Um, and uh, there are things that we do that feel like they get easier over time. And then there are things that we do that just never get easier. Um, one of the things I've mentioned before is that when I was in seminary, I worked at a Vera McKinnon hospital and I worked in central sterile processing or CSPD and I was the basement of the hospital and we were in charge of all of the sterile supplies uh, for the operating department, uh, the operating rooms of Vera McKinnon. And so uh, one of the things about that job that never got easier was the idea of pulling emergency cases. Um, you know, we would get a call from upstairs. We would have our normal scheduled cases for the day, but we'd also have emergency cases. And there were set things we had to pull for an emergency uh, case. And then they would add additional things depending on who was doing whatever uh, in this emergency surgery. Um, And that job, I mean, our job was to pull that case as fast as we could and then get it upstairs so that the OR could do their job appropriately. Um, And that never got easier for me. That was always hard and just, you know, I am who I am and I'm, I like, like to think that I'm a compassionate person, but uh, uh, it was hard to imagine anyone having emergency surgery and then just being a part of that process in general. That never got easier for me. Um, as a pastor, I will tell you that funerals never get easier. In my previous appointment, I was one of two pastors that would do non-member funerals. Um, And so we got thrown into a lot of different situations of people that you just didn't know and there you are doing their service and the family dynamics can sometimes be off because grief doesn't bring out the best in any of us and funerals when you know the person aren't any easier. In fact, they're a lot harder because you knew the person, you loved the person and the fact that you're doing their funeral is just hard to fathom and hard to reckon with. Um, And so 
funerals are something that never get easier. It's something that I call, and you've probably heard me say this before, but it's something that I call the unfortunate honor of ministry. Um, the fact that I get to be a part of that process um, is never lost on me, and the impact is never lost on me. And, you know, I, the, the, the challenge of a funeral when it's someone that you know and love is checking your emotions because that family is going through it more than you ever will. And you have to maintain your own composure and realize that it's not about you. It's about this family and it's you putting your best effort forward to honor that person and honor their family and, and behold their grief. And that just doesn't ever get easier. And I'll also tell you that preaching about stewardship doesn't get easier either. There are just things that don't get easier. The nice thing is, is though, when we align our steps to God, we can know that we don't go alone. Um, we can have that confidence, we can have that trust because we know that we're not alone. Uh, God is with us in the midst of all things and so hard things are still hard and they're still scary and they're still challenging, but they're not debilitating because we know that no matter what, God is with us. If we fall on our face, God still loves us. If we succeed, God still loves us. And that is just good news for us as we live out our faith, and especially as we look at the challenge of what stewardship is. I mean, stewardship, we've talked about this entire time, is not just financial. Stewardship is a giving of all of our resources. And I like to kind of couch it in this umbrella term of time, talent, and treasure. I think it helps us think about, you know, just how immense and how big stewardship actually is is um, because it does it's not just our finances it's it's so much bigger than that it's a it's a, a stewardship and and considering how we spend all of our time how we expend energy and then also how we you know handle our finances as well and how we give thanks to god for god's provision with us um, god is always with us and we give thanks to god for that and one of the ways that we express that is through a giving of our time talent and treasure not just to the life of the church but really looking at what that means to give that to God. So on Sunday, our focus was not just the marching band at Gregory High School, um, but our focus was really on what Paul said to the church in Corinth. And what Paul said to the church in Corinth had a lot to do with, with the Macedonians. Um, Paul had been instrumental in organizing this kind of the stewardship campaign, basically, um, in a way to bless the churches of the region of Judea, uh, the region around Jerusalem. And I just kind of feel like it was one of those things where I was talking about it all week with, you know, myself and working on this sermon and kind of glossed over some of the key points. And so I wanted to dig in just a little bit more about what all this was about. Um, so as I've mentioned, Judea is the region around Jerusalem. And the fact of the matter is, is that Judea, the entire region, had fallen into this uh, this period of famine. And, and along with that came poverty and, and hardship that comes with not having enough. Um, and so Paul organized this generosity campaign. One of the things that I noticed as I was studying scripture is that this famine was prophesied um, as, uh, as something that was going to come to pass. Um, a prophet from Jerusalem went to Antioch, which kind of became the central hub of the Apostle Paul's ministry network and the early church. In fact, it was at Antioch uh, where, where people that followed Jesus were first called Christians. Um, and this prophet came, um, Agabus, and he predicted a f in the spirit that a famine would fall over the region of Judea, and that did in fact come to pass. Um, Acts chapter 11 said that it took place during the reign of Claudius, um, and what we know from historians around that time is that it, that took place in the years between 45 and 48 um, AD. 
And so because this famine had happened and because it was having a toll on the Judean region, um, the Apostle Paul got this idea or had this idea or prayed about this idea um, of organizing uh, this generosity campaign. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul calls this the collection of the saints. Um, and he mentions to the Corinthians in his first letter uh, that he had given these same instructions he was about to give to them and kind of explains more about what's going on and why this is happening. Um, and he'd given those same instructions to the church in Galatia, although we're not entirely certain what the Galatian church did with that because Paul doesn't mention them then in 2 Corinthians. Paul mentions the churches of Macedonia, uh, namely Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Um, and so either Paul gave this instruction orally to the church in, in Galatia or the churches of Galatia, um, or it was in a letter that has been lost to history. Um, so this generosity campaign was going to go to Jerusalem, was going to go to the, like I, I called it on Sunday, the mother church. Jerusalem was so centralized in so much of religious life uh, for both Jews and Christians who eventually moved things to Antioch. But when it all started, it started in Jerusalem. Uh, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus calls the disciples to be his witnesses first in Jerusalem, first right where they were. And so Jerusalem is the central hub for a lot of this stuff and everything grows north out of Jerusalem to, to get into the regions of the Macedonians. And one of the byproducts of this generosity campaign was the fact that unity was created between the Jews and the Gentiles. And this was in a time when Gentile inclusion was not necessarily like a guaranteed thing. Uh, the early church was very hotly debating this stuff while, while the famine was happening. And that really even happens in Jesus' ministry. Um, in, G in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending the disciples out and he tells them to not go anywhere near the Gentiles or the Samaritans. And there is some scholarship to suggest that Jesus wasn't speaking geographically, um, but more metaphorically, that Jesus was telling the disciples not to be like the Gentiles or not to be like the Samaritans, but that's still kind of a rough word. And then later in Matthew's gospel, in, in chapter 15, there is a Gentile woman that comes to Jesus and asks for healing, and Jesus isn't very interested at first. Um, but it, it was only through the woman being insistent and, and referring to Jesus as Lord and Master and worshiping him that he finally relents. Which kind of leads me to think that Jesus was just being coy uh, as a way of proving the, the connection between the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, but it does seem that Jesus' ministry was focused on Jews first, um, was focused on um, reaching Hebrew people that had got had, that had lost their way. And Jesus does do this. He does provide this healing. And I think that it helped people around this entire situation see that that Jesus was working towards something bigger. The kingdom of God is big enough for both Jew and Gentile and all, basically, which is what we now know to be true and what we give thanks to, a fact that we give thanks to God for. And then after Pentecost, um, the, the ministry among Gentiles becomes even more stark, um, even becomes even more widely accepted. Um, there is the incident between Philip um, and the, the queen servant from Ethiopia, um, where he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah and Philip rides up upon it or, you know, comes upon him and asks him if he understands what he's talking about. And the, the, the Ethiopian servant basically says, I don't know. 
And Philip gets in and explains it to him. And eventually that does, in fact, lead to the baptism of this of this queen's servant. Um, and that's not a Jewish person. That is a Gentile person. And then I've mentioned this at length, especially because we just preached the sermon, the Peter sermon series a couple of weeks ago. But Peter has this interaction with a guy named Cornelius and eventually baptizes Cornelius's entire household. And again, they're not Jews. They are Gentiles. And so all of this and plus the, 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 the call of the Apostle Paul in the first place. I mean, that is I mean. God calls Paul for the sole purpose of sending him among Gentile people where his former life in Judaism would not be a deterrent to them trusting him. And so all of this leads to the Jerusalem Council that's talked about in Acts chapter 15, which happens in or around AD 50. And the question that's being asked by this church council is, what do we do with Gentiles? You know, for the longest time, it was the people of the covenant. It was the Jewish believers. It was the Hebrew people that were a part of God's mighty and saving acts. But it became so much bigger when non-Jewish people got involved, when Jesus got involved. It got so much bigger when Jesus got involved. And it got so much even bigger when the Holy Spirit came. And there was no distinction between Jew and Greek. And here in this offering, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. It is these Gentile churches that gave faithfully and sacrificially to this collection to help Jerusalem, to help Judea when they had fallen on hard times. In instituting this offering, the Apostle Paul is inviting all the churches with whom he had a relationship to step out of their comfort zone and to see that there is no real division. That there is no us in them. There is only a need and people that are going to fill it. They stepped out of their comfort zone. They stepped out of a narrative that told them that they were less than. And they showed the world who they were by giving financially. It is amazing to me how many times generosity has this rallying effect on people. Generosity can be just this uniting force that allows us and, and enables us to set aside these things that, that do divide us and that some of them are important, but yet we realize that there are bigger things going on. I mentioned at the very end of Sunday's message the fact that we paid off our elevator. Um, for those that might not be a part of the church on a normal basis, our elevator died, oh, probably about a year and a half ago now. Um, and it didn't die. It was just in need of retrofitting and a, and, uh, a new uh, lift mechanism. And that was a pretty big challenge. And we didn't quite know what we were going to do. And so we went to the bank um, and restructured our loan. And we were prepared to take out more money to, to, to pay off this elevator. But yet, when we got together around this common cause, we took care of it. I remember a story from back when in Burke, actually it happened a, a, a while ago, um, but the Burke Baptist Church needed a new roof. And one of the suggestions that was made by the pastor, my friend Mark Tuttle, uh, is that the church should do the roof by themselves, that they should you know, raise the money, that they should do the labor, that they can just do it by themselves. And the council disagreed with Mark uh, and they just tabled it for a year. And then a year after that, they were discussing this roof problem because things hadn't gotten better um, because they because they tabled this decision. And one of the people on council said, 
Think we can just do it ourselves? And the church agreed and they rallied around it and they got it, they got it done. They replaced their own roof, labor and all. Um, and, you know, part of that is just, you know, Mark trusting God in the midst of it. Um, but also it is the church coming together around generosity. And it's bigger than just churches, too. Um, in 2019, August 2019, uh, the town of Burke, South Dakota, was hit with a tornado. And what happened was people gave. <laughs> people gave massive donations in order to help us out a little bit and to, and to help defray some of the costs uh, to the point where we had to organize a community group called the Long-Term Recovery Group in order to help us deal with all that was given. And we ended up giving away so much money to people in need and uh, hearing these stories of, of just destruction and devastation. And they were so heartbreaking, but yet the people were willing to step in to the challenge of our situation and step out in faith, trusting that the money that they were going that they were giving was going to go to where it needed to go. And by and large, it did. Um, it was amazing to see not this, not just the community come together, but the entire region. I mean, winter South Dakota is 30 some miles away from Burke, but what dealership donated a whole car to the Rotary Club to raffle off and all the proceeds from the raffle went to the long-term recovery group to people in Burke that were in need after the tornado. It's just so amazing to see how communities can come together, how people can come together, how churches can come together, how divisions can end because of a common cause that calls for us to step in and step out and to align our steps with God. So next week, we're bringing this message series to a close by taking a look at our next step. We've stepped into the challenge of generosity. We've stepped out beyond our comfort zones. And now it is time for us to step up, to step up to the challenge that is before us and to decide what it is going to look like for us to be generous stewards of all of our resources in the year to come. A long time ago, I was discussing giving to the church with my aunt, and she was always taught to give until it hurt. And I just think that that's such a poor way of thinking about stewardship and thinking about generosity. Really, what we should be doing is giving until it feels good. It, we, you know, the scripture that we're going to be focusing on is Second Corinthians nine. A little bit later in the same story of the of the of this mat, of this gift that's being organized for Jerusalem, and Paul mentions that God loves a cheerful giver. Um, God doesn't want us to give out of shame or obedience, and God does not want to shame us into giving. God wants us to feel good about what we're doing. God wants us to be stewards of all of our resources, time, talent, and treasure, and to impact the world around us. And so the question for Sunday is going to be this, what does stepping up look like? I think back to the story of the widow's might that we used to start this entire series a couple weeks ago. The widow gave these two small coins and it was all she had to live on and it was just a little bit, but it was something. So the idea of stepping up might look like just doing something. And if we're already giving faithfully to the church, the idea may be stepping up to give a little bit more. And it's always, always a question of what does God want to do through us? And what, what can God do through us? There's a story that comes out of a conference mission trip from a few years ago when they went to Texas. And what happened is that someone out of generosity put a dollar on the very, very little dash of the, of the bus that they were on. 
And no one had really ever noticed the dollar, and no one ever mentioned the dollar, and it sat there for a couple of days until someone said, hey, what's that dollar for? And then the dollar turned into two dollars, and the dollar turned into more, and the two dollars turned into more dollars, and this gift just kept accumulating on the dashboard of the bus, and then eventually made it to a more appropriate spot. But by the end of the trip, that one dollar that someone gave as a, you know, just a, a, a blind offering turned into seven hundred and fifty dollars. In the course of a week, God multiplied, by working in the hearts of the people on this mission trip, God multiplied that dollar into $750 that they were able to bless the families that they were working with on the mission trip with even more than they thought they were going to be able to. Ultimately, our aligning our steps with God is realizing that we are giving on purpose. Our purpose statement here at the church is to make disciples who make a difference. And this is all about how we make a difference. Giving of our time and talent and treasure, extending our impact into the world is all about how we make a difference in the world around us in the name of Jesus Christ. It's important work that we're up to. It's hard work that we're up to. But God is still in the midst of all of it, some way or another. Well, thanks for joining me on this week's episode of the Cut for Time podcast. Uh, Be sure to join me Sunday at 10 o'clock for worship. I'm here at the church, either in person or online. Uh, Sunday is National Bible Sunday, and so we have the opportunity to present our third graders with their Bibles, Uh, either third graders that are a part of our church family or third graders that come to Chi Alpha. Um, All are welcome to be a part of that on Sunday. Uh, We'll also have our Sunday evening uh, community Thanksgiving service uh, sponsored by the Canton Ministerial Association. being hosted at our church at seven o'clock on Sunday night as well. And be sure to join us next week for another episode of the Cut for Time podcast. Thanks for listening to our Cut for Time conversation. Join us for worship in person or on Facebook Live Sundays at 10 o'clock Central Time. And now go in peace and serve the Lord.